Last night we talked and about and examined a passage that shows us and establishes for us Jesus as the high priest. Now there was also a prophecy about Jesus Christ throughout the pages of the Old Testament, and it's a recurring theme about Jesus as our king. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, towards the end of Jacob's life, he prays and he blesses and he prophesies these great things to his 12 sons. And to, to Judah, he says, the, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And to, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now, this is reminiscent of the promise of Abraham of the blessing going out to all nations, but he prophesies here about kings. We remember in the story of Abraham, he says from Abraham's line would come kings. And of course, this is true. And from the line of Judah, there was great kings that, that came. After the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, they settled in the land of Canaan. And while they were there, they were influenced by idol worship and they turned from God. And God raised up deliverers to save them. And it came to pass that as they looked around at all the nations around them, they desired a king to rule over them. So God gave them a king. God gave them Saul, but he failed to be God's representative. So God gave them David. And so David, even though he has mistakes, becomes a symbol of a righteous king for the people of Israel. And we've just kind of fast-forwarded between what we ended off with in Exodus and talking about the sin of Korah last night and the challenge that they made to Aaron, and now we've fast-forwarded through this period of Israel's history, and now we come to this time of the kings. <clears throat> now David, it says in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 3, this is toward the end of his life, it says, Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. Wherefore his servants said unto him, Let there be sought for my lord the king a young virgin, and let her stand before the king, and let her cherish him, and let her lie in thy bosom, so that my, the lord, uh, so my lord the king may get heat. So they sought a fair damsel throughout all the coast of Israel, and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. Now it says that, that these men were looking for someone just to get heat for the king. This shows us the feeble state near the end of his life that he was in. He couldn't get warm, even covered with clothing. And they tried to do all these things to, to find ways to, to generate heat for him. And so his servants search throughout all the land, and they find this young woman, Abishag. And she becomes part of his, his harem, the royal harem. This was a custom that they had at the time of the kings. Um, and so Abishag the Shunammite. Now this is important to note for later on in the story, Abishag the Shunammite. But this also shows us and establishes how old and frail King David was at this time. So being so old and frail... Surely he reached a point that he was unable to rule as the king and, and be ruler in the kingdom any longer. And he has children. They're heirs of the throne. And one of these sons knows this and sees this, this father in this state. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. So this son exalts himself. And he gathers somewhat of an entourage, and he gets these guys who are on his side. And, and in the following verses in that chapter, it describes that he was a goodly man, meaning he, was, he looked like a kingly man. He was a brother of Absalom. And, and David did not rebuke him for doing this, it says. He did not displease him by saying, why are you doing this? I don't think David really knew all what was going on, being in, in the state that he was in as an old man there in his, in his last days. We find also that he conferred with Joab, and Abiathar, the priests, uh, and, and they helped him in his efforts. They were on his side. They were on, on team uh, Adonijah. 
Now, Joab was a man who was one of King David's generals, and the Bible tells us that he had slain two men during times of peace. And David was very displeased with this man because it brought great dishonor to the kingdom. And so Joab wasn't on the, on the king's good list, wasn't on the king's good side. And so he's siding now with Adonijah, his son, and exalting himself. And now Abiathar was the son of Abimelech. This man was the high priest that helped David escape from Saul. If you remember the account of Saul going and getting the showbread from the tabernacle, he goes to the place and he says, what do you have? Give it to me and, and I have food for me and the, and the men that are with me. And so that's Abiathar, uh, his father. And when Saul learned about what that priest had done, he slew all of the priests. He killed all of them. But Abiathar escaped and he joined David's side and served him as a priest. And he bore the Ark of the Covenant. So this man had been through turmoil and had, had been through persecution with David and you think that he was on his side, but he joins forces now with Adonijah in, in exalting himself. These two men were the servants of the king, and they should have known better. Yet they go along with his plan. And so Adonijah prepares this great feast, and he calls together all the certain people that we'll read about here in just a moment, and he's celebrating. Let's read about that. First Kings chapter 1, verse 9, it says, And Adonijah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel, and he called his, brother, his brethren the king's sons. You know what he's doing? He's calling the king's children so he can prove to them and show them, I am the king now. Because it was customary for the next oldest one, whoever was the oldest in line, to be the heir of the throne. And so he exalts himself and he calls the king's sons, showing them, I'm the king. And he called the king's sons and all the men of Judah the king's servants. He wants all the people to know, I'm the king. But Nathan the prophet and Benaiah and the mighty men and Solomon his brother, he called not. This man prepared this great feast and this great celebration to exalt himself as a king, but he intentionally left out certain men. And the Bible tells us that the, the, the priest... Uh, and the prophet, Nathan, the prophet, and Benaiah, and the mighty men, and, and, and Zadok, the priest, they were not on his side. And they didn't want anything to do with this plot. And so he doesn't invite them to this feast and this, this great celebration about this great mighty king, Adonijah. These men that were not with him were very loyal to King David. And they would not easily follow a man that would do uh, such a thing to take the kingdom and exalt himself and, and usurp the throne in such a way. Now, who is Nathan the prophet? Why wasn't he involved in Adonijah's plan? He was not involved because he knew better. He knew that this was not God's will. Back when earthly kings began to reign over God's people, uh, they were always appointed by God. And we don't see that in this process with Adonijah. And in fact, this was established long before there were even kings when he told the children of Israel. Back when they were wandering in the wilderness, he told them, there's going to come a day when you're going to have kings. And notice what he says. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are round about me. Thou shalt, say in any, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. So God knew that they were going to do this, and he told them, you're going to pick whoever I tell you will be king. And that's who will be put on the throne. And so, again, the, land, the children of Israel enter the land of Judges, and, and or the land of Canaan, and they go through the period of Judges, and God picks Saul. Now, every time a king is chosen, the priest or the prophet will go and anoint this king, and it's like a sign that God is anointing this man to be the leader. 
This happened with a high priest as well. That's interesting of note. And that happened when David was appointed king. They got this horn of oil and they poured it on David and he was anointed as the king. And God also knew who was going to rule after David was done ruling. And here we are at the end of David's life. And David remembered this because God prophesied to David of Solomon. Uh, now Solomon was the son that was born after he committed sin with Bathsheba. And she was the son of Bath- he, Solomon was the son of Bathsheba. We read in, in 1 Chronicles 22, it says, Behold, a son shall be born to thee. This is God speaking to David. Behold, a son shall be born unto thee who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build an house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will bless, or and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. This was a prophecy that God gave to David. And David is recounting in this passage what God told him. God knew who was going to reign after, Sol- or after David, and it was Solomon. It's not Adonijah. At Solomon's birth, Nathan the prophet was there. And David confront- comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her after the first child died. And he lay with her, and she bare a son. And, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Nathan the prophet was there. Nathan the prophet knew. Nathan the prophet saw and prophesied all these things to King David. He knew that Solomon was the next heir to the throne, and he was true to God, and he knew that it was not Adonijah to be chosen, and so he takes action in this plot to usurp the throne. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 11, we read what he goes to Bathsheba, and he talks to her, and he has a conversation, and they devise a plan. We need to fix this. And so Nathan the prophet spake to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Hast thou not heard that Adonijah the son of Haggath doth reign? And David our Lord knoweth it not? Now therefore, come, let me pray, uh, I pray thee, give thee counsel that thou mayest save thine own life and the life of thy son Solomon. You see, there was a lot of turmoils in the days of these kings when somebody would rise up and they had brothers or there was another uh, son that was born from another wife. They would just go and kill all those people and kill that family line so that they could secure their place on the throne. And Nathan the prophet is worried about this and knows If Adonijah is going to go to this extent and just exalt himself and get these people on his side, Solomon and his mother Bathsheba are now in danger. And so he says, I'm I'm helping you save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. But he also knew what the plan of God was and this was not it. So he he says, "Let's, let's get a plan. So he goes in, he says, go and get thee in unto King David and say to him, Didst not thou, my lord, O king, swear unto thine handmaiden, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and, and he shall sit upon my throne? Why then doth Adonijah reign? Behold, while thou yes talkest there with, here with the king, or, and this is Nathan, the prophet, telling her, Behold, while thou yet talkest there with the king, also I will come in after thee and confirm thy words. So he says, Go in and talk to him. Go and remind him of this. And then I'll come in later, and I'll ask the, the, the same question to David confirming what Bathsheba is saying, that Adonijah has done this thing. And so he goes in and he says, Lord, did, did you make this commandment that Adonijah was going to reign after you? Did you do this and you, you just didn't tell your servants about this? Because Bathsheba's already in there talking to him and asking him. So he goes in and does that and confirms it. And it's interesting when Bathsheba's talking to him, she says, the whole city is looking to you and we need a decision. Who's the real king? 
And so then Nathan comes and asks him this thing. And David clears up the entire matter swiftly. In 1 Kings 1, 28, Then King David answered and said, Call me Bathsheba. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore and said, As the Lord liveth that hath redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead, even so will I certainly do this day. David then calls for Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah, one of the chief men among David's mighty men, and he told him to, to go get Solomon, go and have him ride upon my own mule, anoint him, go down to Gihon and anoint him, and blow the trumpets, and you're going to have this great parade, and you're going to declare him king. And we're going to show everybody who the true king is. It was Solomon. And so they did, did this very thing. In 1 Kings 1.38, we see so Zedek the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and, and the Carathites and the Pelathites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest, just like we talked about when God chose the priest, would anoint those kings. Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon and they blew the trumpet and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth earth rent with the sound of them. What a celebration. It was a great day. King Solomon was declared to be the king and it was irrefutable in the sight of all the people. Everyone knew that this man was the king. He's riding upon David's mule. He was anointed by the priest and the prophet. And now he sits down upon the throne and the people rejoiced greatly. Meanwhile, Adonijah's at his party just down the street. And they hear the uproar. 1 Kings chapter 141. And Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard it as they had made an end of eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, Wherefore is the noise of the city being in an uproar? And while they yet spake, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest came. And Adonijah said to him, Come in, for thou art a valiant man, and bring us good tidings. He's excited. Man, I'm the king. I put all these people before me. Joab is with me. These priests are with me. Everybody knows it. And everyone's so excited. Everyone's so happy that I'm the king. Come in and come on. You bring good news. I think he really believes that people are rejoicing for him. And Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, proceeds to tell him why the people were actually rejoicing. And the priest says, no, verily our Lord King hath made Solomon king. And Zadok the priest went and he anointed him and Nathan the prophet was with him and they took him down to Gihon and he made him ride on his mule and, and he paraded him through the, the city and there was trumpets playing and people were rejoicing and that's what you heard in the town. Solomon sits on the throne of the king and the king bowed himself down on the bed and the servants came to bless David and they say, bless Solomon even more. Make the name of Solomon even better. Make his throne better than thy throne. And the king bowed himself to him. And they're afraid. And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid and rose up and went man, every man his way. Those men were scared because they knew their life was on the line. And Adonijah was even more afraid because he's the ringleader that exalted himself. And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and rose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. The party's over. And these men know that they could die for this. 
And Adonijah does the only thing he has left to do. He begs for his life. Please don't kill me for this. He makes Solomon swear. Don't do this. And what Solomon replies to him is striking. This is what stood out to me in the story that made me want to dig in deeper and find out what's going on here. Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not an hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and bowed himself to the King Solomon. And Solomon said unto him, Go to thine house. Peace and mercy has been extended by the king. Adonijah's life is saved. Because he showed himself a worthy man. He came and he humbled himself and he repented of this thing and he bowed before the king, honoring now the true king. I'm, I'm not the king, it's you. You're the king. And Solomon lets him go his way. Unfortunately, the next chapter reveals to us that Adonijah's submission to the king, it wasn't as wholehearted as it might have seemed. Adonijah, or after this, what happens in Second Kings, or in First Kings chapter 2, David talks with Solomon and there's this, this beautiful prayer and he gives him this great wisdom and it says that David dies and now Solomon's on the throne. And Adonijah goes to Bathsheba and she says, are you coming in peace? She knows what's taking place. She knows her son is now the king. Is this man coming to kill her? Is he an enemy? She says, do you come in peace? He says, yeah, I come in peace. He says, you know I should have been king. But your son took the throne from me. Well, it was from God. I'm not mad about that. He says, but I do have one favor. Please, I beg you, one favor. And she says, what is it? He says, Abishag the Shunammite. I love her. And I want her to be my wife. Will you please help me talk to Solomon? Go in there. He'll listen to you. You're his mother. Please go in there and, and, and let her be my wife. And so Bathsheba goes. She goes to Solomon. And we see the, the, the reverence that Solomon had for his mother. And he says, he says, what is it, mother? And he sets a seat near the throne, and he puts her there, and he says, whatever you want. Tell me what you want. And she says, you know, why don't we be nice to Adonijah, and let's let him have Abishag the Shunammite to be his wife. He loves her. This was egregious. Some of the co commentaries that I've read about this say that it was a custom in the east for a king's successor to take his harem. And so Abishag the Shunammite would have now been part of the concubines of Solomon, his, one of his wives. So essentially what Adonijah is revealing, I still want the throne. Remember when Absalom tried to usurp the throne of David? And he slept with all of the concubines in the presence of all the people because he was showing the people, I'm the king. These women are mine, not my father's. 
It was egregious. And Adonijah is doing the very thing, and it is egregious. Solomon seemed to understand it that way. In, in chapter uh, 2, verse 22, King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is mine elder brother. Even for him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do so to me and more also if Adonijah have not spoken this, this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord liveth, which has established me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who hath made me in house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him that he died. This man still wanted the kingdom. And it cost him his life. He did not show himself to be a worthy man. Now, I think this story is incredibly interesting. And I, and I think there's a lot of practical things we can learn about this as Christians. And I think the very first thing that we can learn is that Adonijah represents a desire that we as humans have, that we are, were corrupted with. We read about this together in Genesis chapter 3. When Satan deceived humanity and tried to tell them, you will be like God. Take of this fruit and exalt yourself. That's what he said. For God doth know that in the day that you eat of thereof, then your eyes will be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You'll have this great power. You'll be able to rise up. It's a dangerous desire in our hearts that we want to rule. We want to call the shots. We want to control our own lives. For Adonijah, it was the kingdom. But for us, it's our own life. We may believe that we know the best course of action. We might be so arrogant in our lives and, and confident in ourselves and our own decision-making that we think, you know, I'm smart enough to direct my own path. I'm smart enough to know what to do and how to save myself. No, we don't. Jeremiah chapter 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We would know what to do if we had never fallen and we had maintained the holiness of God, but we don't know what to do. We are corrupt and we have fallen and we have sin in our lives and that corruption makes us blind. It's not within ourselves to direct our own steps. That means we just don't know better. And oftentimes we think we do know better and we try our hardest and it just doesn't work out because we don't know better. Because our heart is deceitful. It lies to us. It tricks us. We, are li we, we deceive our own selves into thinking things. Jeremiah also said in 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There is a wickedness inside of us that, that constantly pulls and there's this conflict of, of us trying to make ourselves like God. And, and just like we read about in Genesis, there's this constant pull of us trying to, to recreate God in our own image trying to change his commandments to suit our own ways and, and to change the outcome so that we are removed from punishment. No, this is going to be okay if I go this route, even though God said, I won't be okay, that I'm, I will surely die. Our own plans that we come up with and that we think are right by our human wisdom, they are not going to prevail against God's. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. What we see in that story of Adonijah, he didn't bother to go to God and ask for his counsel. He didn't go to the, the prophet Nathan and say, can we ask God and see if this is okay and see if this is what God wants? 
Instead, he presumptuously took charge of the kingdom and said, I'm going to be king. I'm the king now. You know, I think it's true. Any time that we try to make a decision without first thinking God's counsel, and instead we just act upon our own whims, our own thoughts and devices, and our own judgment, I think we're putting ourselves in a position of authority that does not belong to us. Just like Adonijah. Because God has chosen a king. He chose a king long before you or I ever came along. And that king is not you and it's not me. God appointed Jesus Christ to be the rightful king, to sit upon the throne, and to be the one to bring us rest, just like he prophesied of Solomon, and the one who would rule and be his, his image upon the throne. Acts chapter 2.36, Peter declared that to the Jews. He says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the great high priest that offers a perfect sacrifice. He is the one that sits on the throne of God. And God showed it with irrefutable proof that he is this son of God and that he is the rightful heir to the throne in the resurrection. Romans chapter 1 verse 4, he declared to be Christ, the son of God, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. God has showed it openly to all. Just like Solomon was paraded around on the mule of David and was, and was anointed with the holy oil and was, the trumpets blew and there was this great big parade, this was just as much of a, of a celebratory event when God raised Jesus from the dead and showed him to be the true son of God, the true heir to the throne, rising up to sit on that right hand of God. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 says, which he wrought, this great, great and wonderful and mighty work, <clears throat> that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. What a beautiful passage. Paul confirms in this declaration that God raised him up far above any name, and that includes my name and your name. We are not the rightful king. We are not the rightful rulers and the rightful ones to sit upon the throne of God making the decisions and having the authority or the dominion. Jesus is the one that was prophesied of. Jesus is the one that suffered on the cross. Jesus is the one that paid the cost of our sins and offered up his own blood. Jesus is the one who now sits on the throne, and he is the one that bears all rule in heaven and earth. And it was loud and clear with irrefutable proof to the resurrection. And there is nothing that can be done to change this. The party's over. And just like Adonijah, when we come to that realization that Jesus Christ is the one that's in control... He, and, and we realize this man who sits upon the throne of God, he's the one that has power over life and death. He's the one that gets to decide whether or not we get to live or whether we get to die. It should put a certain fear in our hearts. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down on the right hand of God. There he sits on the throne. And Adonijah threw himself upon the mercy of Solomon, went to that altar of sacrifice, and he held on, and he said, Swear to me that you won't do me harm. He begged for his life, 
And similarly, you and I, we must fall before the throne, coming to this great perfect sacrifice, throwing upon ourselves of the mercy of the king before his throne and saying, please spare my life. And the difference is that Adonijah had this great fear. And we don't have to have this great sense of fear. We should, but God gives us grace. And he says, Hebrews chapter 4, 16, let us therefore come boldly. He offers this grace freely. He offers this act of mercy freely to us. We can come to him at any time. He says, come boldly before the throne of grace. We don't have to run and hide. But we can run to him, to his throne, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. The difference is this king wants us to come to him. He wants, us, he wants to help you with your life. He's not waiting for an opportunity to, to kill you and, and for you just to die and for you to lose your life. He wants an opportunity to help you. God wants you to come to him and run to him. Isaiah pleaded with the people of Israel in their wickedness, and he said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him, upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If you come to God and you know that you've committed these, these acts of sin, and you've tried to exalt yourself as this great power and this great authority in your life, and now it's time to give that up, God wants you to come to him with, with a free and clear heart and attitude and say, I'm done. You're the true king. It's you. And he wants to forgive you. He wants you to return to him and, have, and he will have mercy on you. Isn't that beautiful? Is that a small thing to you? Our God will abundantly pardon. We should let go of the pride that we hold within ourselves and come in humble submission to this great king because he loves us. James 4, 7 through 10 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. That joy that you might feel, that confidence you might feel, that, that peace that you might think you have, and, and this this joy and this laughter that you have because you're in control and you're in charge. He says, get rid of that. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness and be afflicted and mourn and come before the God with a heart of repentance and show yourself a worthy person. Truly repent and humble yourselves in the sight of this merciful king. And you know what he'll do? He'll lift you up. And he'll help you. And he'll save you. But you have to be true in your repentance. Repentance means you turn from one way and you go another. We saw saw it there in Isaiah. He says, let the wicked man turn from his way and come to me. Stop doing evil and turn to God and do good. But your repentance must be true 
If there's some secret in our life that we're clinging on to, even though we've come to this king and we've thrown ourselves before his mercy and we've repented and we think we've been saved of our sins, but we're secretly going around still trying to get that Shunammite, still trying to get our way, still saying, I want the throne, I want to be the king. If that wickedness is found in us, we will perish. Your repentance must be true. Because like Solomon's mercy, it was conditional upon Adonijah's response to the offer. If he show himself a worthy man, he will live. If he show wickedness in his life, he will die. And the same is true for you and I. God is willing to give us mercy and pardon in Christ. But if we have wickedness in our hearts and keep trying to overthrow that king, we will surely die. And one day we'll have to answer to this king. And Jesus says, but those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring them hither and slay them before me. Solomon issued this command of judgment to be carried out upon Adonijah, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada went out and fell upon him, and he died. And we'll be gathered before the king, and he'll look upon us and say, you didn't want me to rule over you in this life? Fine. And he'll slay you before him, because your repentance was not true. We have to show ourselves truly repentant to show ourselves worthy in this life. James chapter 1.21 says, Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Don't pretend to come to God if, you're, if you don't mean it. Don't pretend to be a doer of his word if you're not actually being a doer. We can trick ourselves. The heart is deceitful above all things, and who can know it? We can deceive ourselves saying, yeah, I'm following God. And then we could totally not be doing his will. And if you're not doing his will, then you have, with, you have in with, mixed in with the word of God filthiness and naughtiness and pride. And you cannot receive that engrafted word that will, that will be able to see your soul. Because it's blocked by that pride and that foolishness that we have within us. Lay that aside. Receive the word of God. Humble yourself and show yourself true in your repentance. Be a doer of the word. Paul encouraged the, the, the uh, Ephesians in Ephesians 4.22 that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Don't let these things come back in your life like Adonijah did. He... he thought that he was trying to save his life and it was just this big act and this big show. Save me. And king, the king says, okay, you're saved. And then he goes right back around to doing what he wanted. He wants Abishag the Shunammite to show that he still wants the throne. Watch out for this deceitfulness that's in our hearts that will entangle us again. Show yourself a worthy person. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 through 10. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, Treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. 
This reminds us of the the words that we read in Deuteronomy where Moses laid it before the people and says, I set before you this day life and death. Choose ye this day. Choose life. Or why will you die, O Israel? God has appointed a true king. And it's not you and it's not me. But this true king wants you to come to him in repentance. And if you have a heart and a desire to repent and to fall before the king and show yourself a worthy person, bringing forth fruits that are worthy of repentance, showing in your life that you are now following this king, showing that in your life by starting out with being baptized into Jesus Christ, this is what the king commands us to do so that he can wash away our sins. And this is how we can come boldly before him, continually to fall before him and and seek his grace. If you haven't done this act of being baptized into Christ, then you are an enemy of the king. And one day he'll gather up the people that thought they were serving Christ, but really were just serving themselves and their own hearts like Adonijah. And he'll say, cut them asunder, slay them before me. I don't know who these people are. They're not my children. But if you want to be a child of the king, you want to have his blood covering your life, you want to have access to this throne of mercy that you could run to at every turn, At every failure, you can run to him and throw yourself and say, I need mercy, I need help in times of need. Then it starts here. Start by having your sins washed away. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.